Welcome to episode eight, week seven of Hoo Hoo Hail. I'm Kathy Chong, and I'm here with the sunny and smart Jeff Co. And our lovely, alluring co-host, Kathy Chong, just ran the Chicago Marathon. How was that experience? And will you share with the audience what exactly got you into it? I will, Jeff. Thanks so much for, for calling that out. I did run the Chicago Marathon this past weekend. The weather, I would say, was almost perfect. It was cooler temps in the 40s and 50s, which is just how I like it. There was some wind, but it wasn't too, too bad throughout the course. It was sunny, but as I mentioned, it was cool. So perfect weather for the most part. Excellent crowd support as always. And I managed to pee by a couple minutes, get my personal best. So I was really, really happy about that. And as Jeff alluded to, I got into running about two years ago, taking it more seriously during the fall of 2017. And it's because Jeff and I went on a beautiful eight mile run throughout the city, just kind of a casual fun run. The run was actually to oh, yes. a Michigan game. Yep. We were running in the rain to Duffy's with the beautiful buffet that they have. Although we're not supposed to call it Duffy's anymore because they don't actually sponsor the Michigan club anymore. Like I think all the different Michigan restaurants that are listed on the website in Chicago paid $10,000 to the Michigan club to sponsor a student from the Chicago area to go to Michigan. But Duffy's, now that it's famous for having amazing blue logo and for having the party bus up to Ryan Field for the Michigan Northwestern game on the years that we play it there, they no longer pay the Michigan club. So according to my Michigan club friends, we're not supposed to shout out Duffy's. But anyway, we were running to Duffy's on that run. Oh, no way. Okay. I did not know that about Duffy's. But yeah, we were doing a casual run, fun run on the way to Duffy's to watch Michigan. And, you know, you start talking to me about Brady Hoke, how he was a past Michigan coach, right? For some time. And the story was that some people just keep failing upwards. Yes. They were talking about, I mean, and, and this is Who Hail is not a political podcast. We're a sports podcast. But I was saying that there's a certain kind of, generally it's a man because it's harder for minorities and women. So one of the things that we noticed is Kathy Chong is one of the only women sports podcasters, certainly one of the only Big Ten women sports podcasters out there. Right, Kathy? Yeah, just from what we've seen, there aren't too, too many women out there. So definitely would love to see that number go up. But I am someone... And of course, we're minorities, right? Yes. And that's true as well. And I was telling Jeff, you know, I'm someone who typically I wouldn't do things unless I knew for sure that I would, for the most part, be successful at it. So for something like running a marathon. I think that's what we were talking mm-hmm. about. Like if you you can run eight miles and you can run a half. And I think what we were talking about is that there is a difference between minorities and people who are Caucasian. There's a difference between men and women where there's this archetype of a white male coach who he's not going to ask permission. He's just going to go out and do it. And the example that I used was, look at Brady Hoke. He like came to Michigan and he didn't wear a headset. Yep. And you know, he very nice man, really great recruiter. Gave Jim Harbaugh a great recruiting class, but had absolutely no idea what he's doing. And so basically, we were talking about how if Brady Hook can do it, why not you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So ironically enough, Brady Hoke is who inspired me to train for the marathon because I told myself, just be like Brady Hoke. He puts himself out there. He thinks he can do it. Maybe he can, maybe he can't. And that same will go for me for the marathon. So I have to thank Brady Hoke, give him a shout out because he has brought me a very happy two years of training for what was just my third marathon and my fourth one coming up next weekend. We thank the strangest people. Like This podcast we do. has the most interesting guardian angels, right? 
right? We have <laughs> and now Brady Hoke, both wonderful Michigan men that, <laughs> that the Michigan fan base, now that they've have held the reins and ran things at Michigan, have very mixed feelings about their legacy. But I think Hugh Hale thanks them for their time with the program. And certainly they're less clear, less certain guardian angels for the podcast but guardian angels of the podcast they are yep they very much well are all right so let's go around the league and then around the big 10 as well um we'll talk about some notable games uh jeff do you want to kick us off and and talk about georgia south carolina yeah one of the things that kathy and i have noticed is that it's pretty hard for us to follow the sec i mean other than a few teams like whenever we listen to the solid verbal recap we were just talking about this earlier they have a wonderful recap of all the different games and wonderful preview and they have an amazing release schedule that we're trying to come up with and match but these guys they start they're wonderful and they're so interesting but once they talk about SEC and Big 12 our eyes and our ears just start glazing over yeah but so what we're going to do is we're going to try to get into some of the SEC teams some of the Big 12 teams I was joking with Kathy that hey you might actually start have to pay attention to the teams above you in the top 25 because what is Indiana ranked well for the SP plus rankings Indiana is number 25 we made the board well there you go you have to start rooting for chaos rooting for teams above you to lose mm-hmm. so you can move up the rankings so you might have to actually start paying attention to the other strong teams around the league yep that's that's absolutely true. And as a as a total aside, well, not quite aside, will you tell us about number four ranked Indiana? So not even, oh, yeah. we always joke about how like Indiana, like basketball is ranked 10th and not nationally, it's ranked like 10th in the Big Ten or like, no, 11th in the Big Ten and there are only 10 teams in the Big Ten, right? But there is a team, an Indiana football team that is ranked number four in the country. Tell us about that team. Yep. Jeff is exactly right. There is an Indiana football team that is ranked fourth in the country, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country. And guess what? It's Indiana soccer. That's the kind of football that is. So we're very, very happy for the Hoosiers because they're definitely making it look really good for IU. We have a winning team, finally, top 10. Super happy about it. Kudos to the Indiana men's soccer team. Who knew that the Hoosiers, this proud basketball program, and I mean, so many people have made fun of you, Kathy, like Mm -hmm. mostly me, but a lot of other people too. Like, why would you make a podcast about what Indiana football, what? Like, you've gotten so much trouble from everybody. And yet you're still smiling and standing strong and being the only Indiana football fan in the city of Chicago. But now there's another football team for you to root for. And they're actually really good. Yep, that's right. I'm excited for it. Yeah, so they came into Ann Arbor and they beat the Michigan Wolverines in a tough 1-0 game. The soccer coach, Shaka Daly, he goes on Sam Webb's WTKA podcast. And I listen to a lot of sports radio, just trying to study the craft and Partially Sam Webb and Solid Verbal being inspirations for us on this podcast. We listen to those a lot. And Coach Daly is really forthcoming. He's praising the Hoosiers program. That's how I learned about it then, actually. And I was so excited. I texted you. I was like, Indiana football is fourth in the country. And, and you were like, what? Like, tell me about <laughs> this. And so they came up to Ann Arbor and beat us in a tight 1-0 game. So I think the Michigan Wolverines are great coach, great program, looking up to. But yeah, so that's something that Hoo Hale fans the hoo and the hill can look at that soccer a little bit. But so turning to this past week's week seven recap, things that we noticed. One of the things that I was doing as I was watching, and it was the same time as the Michigan-Illinois game, which we'll talk about later, similar to what I said about Army, but Army actually went to double overtime, right? 
but I was like, there shouldn't be this much stress. But part of what I was doing was on my phone at, there's this amazing Michigan bar that I found in the city of Boston downtown called Finn McCool's. And it was really cool. Kathy, you missed out on this experience, but I went to Finn McCool's and I got my wonderful knit hat from Bell's Brewery. And you know how I love Bell so much. I love Oberon. But it was a two-hearted cap. I got a Michigan Club of Boston Maison Blue shirt. And I got a Finn McCool's sponsored by Bell's Maison Blue shirt all for free just for going to the event. And it was very well attended, even though it was the Illinois game. And as I was watching the game, I was also watching Georgia, South Carolina on my phone. South Carolina was down to its second string quarterback. Then he got hurt, third string quarterback. And wow, the Bulldogs, some very questionable coaching decisions from both teams. They were trying to both give it away. But I think South Carolina played Georgia. I think what what I was most impressed with was South Carolina's defense. Jake Fromm, who's good. We don't know how good. But everyone talks about Georgia being sort of the clear number three after Alabama and Clemson. And I think this year, they're not the clear number three because South Carolina, I know, was coming in. I think, Kathy, you said they had lost three out of four. So they were two and three. And one of those games was an FCS game. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So they entered the weekend losing three of four against bowl subdivision competition. Yeah, so it was one FCS team. And you know how we feel about those wins against FCS teams, right? Like the Indiana game and how high you were and then OSU. Yes, the Eastern Illinois where we played an FCS team. And I was definitely on a high, but was brought back to reality for OSU the week after. Yeah, so South Carolina had that one win and then one out of four against FBS teams. And Georgia is like number three after everyone put them in the conversation. And Jake Fromm, he threw three interceptions and it it was exciting, exciting game to watch. I think... (laughs) The South Carolina coach, he like decided to kick like a 57 yard field goal at the end instead of trying to win it. And that missed. And then Georgia got the ball back. And because it's a 57 yard field goal, Georgia almost was able to get it into their field goal range with enough time. But then Georgia got a penalty and got sent back behind field goal range. They went to double time. It's like really exciting to watch, but in a bad way. Like mm-hmm. it was exciting, bad, exciting, but good, exciting. And, you know, we're rooting for chaos. I don't know if it will be relevant for Michigan this year. So Georgia lost and that was really exciting. Jeff, do you know what the public's reaction to this loss for Georgia was? Because when Clemson almost lost to UNC, they were given such a hard time. So are people upset with the Bulldogs or how was the reaction? Do you know? Yeah, I think one of the segments we're going to do today is the things that you've learned, Kathy, watching football so closely. I'm watching not just your team, not just my team, not just our teams, not just the Big Ten, but just being a fan of the sport, right? So we're going to talk about some of the things that you picked, right? But I think one thing that you learned, unfortunately, at Michigan's expense is how a close win that shouldn't have been close reads on the resume, right? So you bring up a good one, Clemson UNC. We watched old ball coach Mac Brown try to go for that two-point play. And his two-point play, Indiana was playing Michigan State, right? We were at the bar and we peeled over. And it's like, of all the two-point plays you could run, you run a two-point play where your successful completion depends on you beating Clemson's athletes to the end, right? You're running a route where you give someone a ball and ask them to run around the edge to try to score the two-point. And Clemson's (laughs) on a short field, their athletes are just going to totally stuff that out. The consensus on that Clemson game was that we respect Coach Brown for going for it, the decision, but his play sucked. But as you learn from that game and you learn from Michigan Army, a close win, nobody cares. They just care about the W. When you consider a body of work, if you're maybe deciding between like one 12-0 team 
and another 12 and 0 team or one like 11 and one team and another 11 one team you might say oh that victory was like a little weak but with 12 games it's not going to matter because something will happen in one of the other games and that will be more salient than this minor difference so if you have a w that's great so take the win what they say in march madness survive in advance right that's the Mm. narrow win The Georgia one's a little different because a loss to someone random that you should never have lost to, right? So say if Michigan lost to Army, God forbid, or like Michigan lost to, I don't know. I mean, South Carolina is an FBS team, but like Michigan lost to Appalachian State or something. So lost to someone bad, considered as bad, that lost to some other bad teams, but you lose to them. What happens to your title hopes or your bowl chances, right? And I think that's your question. Yeah, yeah. I just because Clemson got such a negative reaction for almost losing, even though they pulled off the W, I imagine that the kind of the backlash against the Bulldogs was worse because they actually lost. So I was just curious to see if you had seen reactions from folks. So while Clemson like lost, they came out guns firing against Florida State last week. And they, I mean, Trevor Lawrence was angry, Coach Dabble was angry, and they just carved out Florida State. It was like 40 to zero really quickly into the game. So that's Clemson. So no one's going to think about UNC anymore because they totally, it's almost like math wash, right? The aftertaste in the UNC game. As long as you have the W in the column, you come out looking good the next game. Everyone will just remember that you look good. And then they don't remember that, right? Like, I think some other teams might like study that game film to look for weaknesses that might be exposed, assuming that it's not just Clemson looking bad, but something good that UNC did. They might dig out the tape and try to do that. So an example of that is last year, Ohio State dug out Indiana's tape against Michigan and ran those crossing routes. That's Don Brown's kryptonite. And so that's something that you might do. I think the bottom line, and we've already talked about the SEC way more than we usually do. But I think bottom line, Georgia can't lose another game. The playoff committee has shown that if you have one loss, you can get into the playoffs. But two, you're done. Doesn't matter what it is. You lose two, you're done. Okay, that's fair. And Georgia has a crazy slate coming up, right? They have to play Alabama, LSU, Florida. So the chances that they win out are low. But I think the big team, the team that might take Georgia's spot, depending, and I saw an article on 538 today, the team that might take Georgia's spot is Penn State. So the scenario that matters to Georgia, so all Georgia fans, despite how I described them on this podcast, all Georgia fans are rooting for Michigan this weekend. Because assuming that Penn State beats Michigan, and then they have sort of a relatively easy schedule until they play Ohio State. If they lose to Ohio State and they're the number two team in the big town. So Wisconsin might be number two, but Wisconsin will have lost to Ohio State, assuming in the title game coming out of the West. So Penn State might be the number two team and two teams from the Big Ten might get in. And so Georgia's loss, if Georgia loses to another team, Penn State will be the most likely, just looking at the rankings based on week seven, Penn State would take their spot. And so Georgia's rooting for Michigan this weekend because if Michigan beats Penn State, then Michigan has that one loss to Wisconsin and Georgia has that one loss to South Carolina and it's fine. But if Penn State wins and keeps winning, and even if it loses to Ohio State, a loss to Ohio State is much better than a loss to South Carolina. So I think that's sort of where Georgia's at as of today. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for your take on that. We did spend a lot of time talking about the SEC. So I will quickly talk about Oklahoma. Turning to the Big 12. One cool thing about Oklahoma is that their head coach is named Lincoln Riley. So he's a young genius. He's 36 years old. His record is 28 and 4. And this is in the past three years, right? Yes. He took over from old coach Bob Stoops in 2017. He was offensive coordinator and he got 
promoted to the head coach. Yep. And some might even say that he's this generation's Jim Harbaugh because he's the quote unquote quarterback whisperer, which means that he gets the best out of his quarterbacks. So I don't know, Jeff, has Jim Harbaugh been able to do that at Michigan? Yeah, that's the big knock, right? And so the argument is, is Jim Harbaugh really a quarterback whisperer because he did it both in the pros with Alex Smith of the 49ers. He turned Alex Smith into an amazing quarterback. And then he had Colin Kaepernick. And then at Stanford, he had Andrew Luck. So those are all three people that got demonstrably better playing for the old quarterback. But somehow his record at Michigan, the best quarterback that he had was... Jake Rudock, who transferred from Iowa, and Kirk Ferentz coached Jake Rudock, right? And Kirk Ferentz gave gave up Jake Rudock as a graduate transfer, and that's the best quarterback that we've had. I mean, John O'Corn was bad. Brandon Peters left for Illinois, and he's not doing so well at Illinois, even though Kathy loves Brandon Peters as an Indiana boy, and who Hale is a Brandon Peters podcast. I do. <laughs> and Shay just something doesn't look right with Shea. So we'll see. But Lincoln Riley has had amazing quarterbacks, right? Will you tell us about that a little bit? He has. Yeah. So going back to 2017, he had Baker Mayfield, who's now starting quarterback for the Browns. And he won the Heisman that year in that 2017 season. And then in 2018, he had Kyle Murray as his quarterback. So Kyle Murray is now the quarterback for the Cardinals. He was the number one draft pick in 2019. And he won the Heisman as well. So that's two years in a row of Heisman quarterbacks that was coached by Lincoln Riley. And it just keeps on coming, right? Like he just magically, I think if you're a quarterback and you're a graduate transfer, And you see that, right? The program, the offensive schemes that they run, the plays that they run, wouldn't you just go there, right? I think it completely changes the game, right? I think with the transfer portal and the window, if you are recruiting, instead of building up a freshman, and why wouldn't you just look at the best quarterback on the graduate transfer market? Someone who's like stuck behind someone else or their spot gets taken by an incoming freshman that's like a hot shot and just get that guy. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what Lincoln Riley has in mind for for Jalen Hurts because he was the Alabama quarterback and he transferred to Oklahoma. So he's currently there. For folks to remember, during the 2017-2018 championship game where Alabama was playing, Jalen Hurts played the first half and then was benched and then Tua played the second half and they ended up winning the title. So I think the million dollar question, Jeff, is can Lincoln Riley do this for three years in a row? And it's so crazy, right? Because I think the, he plugs in Jalen Hurts, who's like a very different style of quarterback from Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. And Jalen Hurts is just setting records and just killing it out there. Will you tell us about the game against Texas itself? Just a little bit. Yeah. So actually, we we had so much quarterback talk, but what really kind of won the game or stood out for this game was the defense. The final score was 34-27. They still had the W, but it wasn't big of a gap between the two teams that most people might have expected. But the defense, as I mentioned, was what really stood out. And that was their, under their first-year coordinator, Alex Grinch. So basically, they were able to take the defense and hold back the Texas quarterback named Sam Ellinger. So he had minus nine yards rushing and just five and a half yards per passing. And so Oklahoma's defense looks really good. And as we mentioned, you know, they've got this like really, really great QB as well. So yeah, I, th- I feel like they're looking pretty good. We'll see. I mean, they're definitely a contender. Lincoln Riley is like doing a great job. And I think everyone's saying he can have any job in the country. I don't know why he would be mm-hmm. Oklahoma, but if he wanted to, anyone in the NFL just seeing I mean, the quarterbacks he coached are starting quarterbacks in the NFL, right? So NFL team, we've had lots of conversations about whether or not college coaching transfers over both with football or basketball. But I think Lincoln Riley will have the job that he wants. 
Turning back to another SEC team. Yeah, we'll make this quick since we've already talked about the SEC so much, but just wanted to give a shout out to the Vols in Tennessee. They won a game against an actual SEC opponent. Woo! 20 to 10 against Mississippi State. They've improved to two and four. They've got Alabama next week, so we'll see what happens there. But for folks don't remember, I do have connections to the Vols because my father went there both for undergrad and medical school. And so, you know, I kind of grew up knowing that they had this amazing legacy team under Phil Fulmer. And just as of recently, I think they lost, they were like last in the SEC last year, or they lost to every SEC opponent, which is why we're so excited for this one. But just wanted to give them that shout out. The only thing I know about Mississippi State, and it's a doozy, is Mississippi State has obviously a big in-state rivalry, and they're the Bulldogs, the Mississippi State Bulldogs. They have an in-state rivalry with the Old Miss Rebels, and the rivalry game is called the Egg Bowl. And okay. they've played that game since 1901. Wikipedia says it is uh, typically an example of the interstate rivalries between several public universities, the one that has the state's name alone. And the land-grant university, which is called State University. Does that sound familiar to you, Kathy? I'm not familiar with that, no. No, no. Like, is it familiar? Like, this type of rivalry. This type of oh, rivalry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, this one. Between <laughs> yes, the school, yes, yes. Between the school with the state's name and the land-grant school that's called whatever State University. Yes, I see where that- you're going. That's very <laughs> too familiar to me. Yeah, this is one that we talk about all the time on this podcast. Maybe yeah. too much, right? Like, I, I guess Indiana doesn't have that, right? Like, Indiana, there's no, like, Indiana State that's a robbery. It's just pretty. There's a story about how there's a golden egg. They literally created a golden egg because one time the two teams played and then and then they tore down the goalposts and they fought with wooden chairs. And in order to avoid the fight, they created this egg trophy. And it's actually supposed to be a football But the football was based on the 1920s football. And this trophy has been awarded since 1927. So they had this big fight in 1926 where people got hurt. And so the football, I guess they're like blunter and more like an oval. So it looks more like a rugby ball than a modern day American football. And so if you look at that football, it looks like an egg. So that's why they call it a golden egg because it's a brass 1920s football that looks like an egg. So that's the egg trophy. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's the trophy that these two schools fight over. And my favorite egg bowl, like totally off the field. And it's relevant for this podcast because Coach Hugh Freeze, which coached Ole Miss and Coach Shea Patterson, the reason why it was discovered that Coach Hugh Freeze had called escorts that led to the suspensions and led to Shea transferring to Michigan is because Ole Miss's rivals, Mississippi State, they filed a Freedom of Information Act short for FOIA, they FOIA'd the official phone records of Hugh Freeze, who, as the coach of a public university, his phone records are public information under FOIA. So Mississippi State FOIA'd Hugh Freeze's phone records and found these strippers and got their rivals suspended. Oh, wow. And that is the only story I know about Mississippi State. I know about the Egg Bowl. And I know that they FOIA'd Hugh Freeze's phone records, which well, is like a discrepancy. You, you also know that Hugh Freeze coached from a hospital bed. It's another story. Well, yeah. I mean, th- but that's after that, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I, I uh, followed Hugh Freeze because we got Shea Patterson. So it's actually, I mean, to the extent that we like Shea, we have Mississippi State to thank for Shea Patterson because they mm-hmm. set into motion the events that led to Shea coming over. And all mess getting suspended. Yeah. So talk about like a rivalry, right? Like it's like you, I don't know, like Purdue's coach 
or Purdue's fan base decides to FOIA Coach Allen and where Coach Allen learned how to celebrate, right? Like they try to FOIA <laughs> his celebration classes leading to a big celebration scandal at Indiana. I don't, I don't even know how that would work, but that's sort of the cool thought. Yeah, um, no, I know what you're talking about. Let's not get Boilermakers any ideas now. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I'm totally a spy for Choo Choo Hale. Why don't you tell us about the USC Notre Dame game and your connection to USC? Sure. So just like Tennessee, I also have a parent, my mother, she went to USC both for undergrad and pharmacy school. So USC, they're three and three because they lost 30 to 27 against Notre Dame. So I'm happy it was a close game, but there were a couple things that that was a little bit troubling that that I noticed. I mean, there's other reasons for why to be happy, right? Because Notre Dame is at Notre Dame and Notre Dame's coming to Michigan. Yep. And if, you know, 30-27 against a bad USC team, like people are actually saying that Michigan might have a chance. Yeah, against yeah, game. I agree. Especially since questions have arisen as to how good Georgia is, right? Because everyone had that Georgia-Nerdy game game, like, way up there. Mm-hmm. And so Georgia looks weak, USC looks weak, and, like, maybe Michigan has a chance. Yeah, maybe Michigan does have a chance. I guess we'll find out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so tell us about USC. I mean, just a couple things that were a little bit troubling. Their defense, they gave up 308 yards rushing. And you have to see that this Notre Dame team, they only gave up 46 against Georgia three weeks ago. So big difference there for their offensive line. They haven't been very consistent because on one hand, they might clear the way, for example, like 172 yards on 27 carries, which is really great. That's an average of 6.3 yards per carry. But then you might see really poor pass protection. And we saw USC give up four sacks to Notre Dame. And so, you know, they just haven't been consistent. You see them do something really great, but then they'll kind of make up for that with something that's not as great they might have a tackle for a loss etc and so they haven't been very consistent with their offensive line and that team took Notre Dame to the brink and yeah. I think Michigan is I don't know our offense is terrible but we might be better than how you described so we'll see if only it were as easy as everyone's saying right just throw the ball to Nico I know um, or to DPJ I don't know if that works that way but I mean, yeah why not throw 50-50 balls up there going back to the Big Ten now right I think we've covered all all the out of Big Ten games that we watched and were interested in with connections to. First up, Wisconsin, Michigan State. That was a 38 0 at Camp Randall. And Michigan was at Camp Randall too. And we lost 35 14. I think Wisconsin, there are some crazy statistics about how four shutouts out of six, like no one scored touchdowns against them. I think Michigan scored two, but that was in garbage time. I think the Spartans did a good job slowing down Jonathan Taylor, who had 80 yards, which is a light game for him. But I think Jack Cohn was King Cohn. He was like 18 of 20, just nailing every pass and just carving them out. I think my favorite part about this game is Michigan State Spartans trash-talked me so much after that 35-14 loss to Wisconsin. They have nothing to say. I, I didn't trashed out them back. I was just like, you were, you were yapping, doing the whole little brother thing, and this is what happens. That's my only comment on that game. Iowa-Penn State. This game was the game last weekend that I paid attention to most. And we went through all the different transitive properties, right? Because Michigan played yes. Iowa and beat Iowa 10-3 to in a game that I found, as I told Kathy, I found it personally humiliating. I don't know why, but just 10 and 3 to start the second half, we sit down on the bar and it's 10 and 3 at the end. And it's like, why did we drive all this way and watch the second half? Like, what the hell is that? But so I was eagerly watching this game and we talked about having beat Iowa and going into Penn State at night. Happy Valley wideout game. 
I watched Urban Meyer's phenomenal urban analysis segment on the Big Ten Network. It was great. But today he said, and he, mind you, coached at Florida. So he's he's played, you know, at LSU, which is crazy. He's played at Alabama. He's played in the title game. He's played, and then obviously as Ohio State, he's played at all these venues too. And he says that the night game in Happy Valley Whiteout is by far the hardest venue that Urban Meyer has ever played. And all he can say about Saturday is that he is glad that it's not him going there. <laughs> and he also said that, and I remember him saying this, right? Like on, on one of the first Fox segments that where we fall in love with Urban Meyer as a commentator and not coach. He said, installing a new offense takes about six weeks. And so on today's urban analysis, he said, well, the six weeks are up, but good luck to Michigan for launching that offense in Happy Valley at night. It is wild. So the transitive properties that we were talking about was having beat Iowa. Do we want Iowa to beat Penn State? Or do you want Penn State to beat Iowa in a way that makes Penn State better for when we beat them in Happy Valley? And so we were talking about all of those permutations. I think ultimately the answer is win the game. I watched closely. It was 17-12. I think Michigan beat Iowa by more than Penn State beat Iowa. Makes me pretty optimistic, although Penn State's front seven looks intense. I personally think that the Happy Valley wideout is worth, you know how, Kathy, we say that home court's worth three points? I think Happy Valley at night yeah. in the wideout is worth 14. I believe that because I, I believe everything Urban Meyer says when he's commentating and, and doing an analysis. So I, I believe that. <laughs> we watched the last wideout against Michigan. We did two years ago and that was brutal. On the first play, two minutes in, Saquon RPOs it all the way into the end zone and we're down by 14 points. That was the last whiteout that Michigan was involved in because it's like home and away, home and away, right? They beat us 42 to 13. That was the game that famously Don Brown said that he thought about that game all year. And last year, we beat Penn State 42 to 7. And it was the game that got me to believe again. Don Brown, the night before, said he thought about the game the year before all year. It was that whiteout game that kept Don Brown up all night. Iowa's defense played really well against Penn State, although I will say that the officiating took away a lot of points from Penn State. So if the game had been officiated normally, I think the game would have been something like Penn State plus 14 points. So like Penn State 31, Iowa 12. So that 17-12 score is a little misleading, given that the officiating wiped out some touchdowns. But so so we'll see. It gave me some modest amount of hope, but the whiteout just seems to be too much to overcome for a janky Michigan offense. The other thing that I've been thinking about is the line. So the line started off at four and a half. And it's, at, it's up now, right? Yeah. So it's Penn State by four and a half. And now it's Penn State by nine, nine and a half. Yeah, I saw that. So all the smart yeah. money is betting on the white out. So we'll yeah. see. A lot of people are saying that this. I was going to say, I, I just have a couple quick thoughts. Like one, I'm, I'm picturing Don Brown now with like a glass of scotch, thinking every night about the whiteout game from two years ago. And then two, I predicted, just want to toot my own horn and say I predicted last week that Penn State would win by a little bit. I think the ideal scenario transitively would be, and that's the one you wanted. The one I wanted was like a grinded down game that would demoralize Penn State, but mm -hmm. that's unlikely because everyone's going to be so excited for the white app. So we'll see. Uh, a lot of people are saying that this is going to be a program defining event for Jim Harbaugh. A lot of the narratives are he can't win on the road. He can't win on the road against the top team. Penn State is ranked number seven and Michigan's ranked number 16. I don't know about Penn State's ranking, but they're undefeated. And at this point in the season, there aren't that many undefeated teams left. 
especially since Georgia lost. And we're 16th, which I think is fair. We are the 16th team. Maybe some would say even worse. I think Solid Verbal described Northwestern as having half of a team. They have an amazing defense. And one of the things that Brian at MGO Blog was saying was that these teams with phenomenal defenses, Iowa, Michigan, Northwestern, and real janky offenses, I wonder what that sort of scenario where the defensive coordinators of these teams, which are carrying, what if they all go for a beer after the season? And what would they say? It might be a program-defining event for Jim Harbaugh. I'm already preemptively sad for the media firestorm because it's going to be, that's probably one of the biggest games this weekend at night. And then follow that by the week after that. In week nine, it's a night game against Notre Dame. Notre Dame will be coming off a bye week to play us. It's all Dave Brandon's fault for canceling the series so that now we have to slot in Notre Dame whenever we can just to bring the rivalry back, which I do think is a good thing. But off a bye week in the middle of the season with a janky offense, I don't know. It just doesn't sound ideal. The last thing I'll say is college game day is going to be in Happy Valley. College game day, again, night game. I don't know. What's your take on the game? How do you think it'll go? I I hate to say it. So I I think both teams have really good defenses. They have offenses that that are okay, but not the most consistent things that, that we've ever seen. I think, you know, if you have to compare the two, Penn State might be just a little bit better. They might be able to score some more points than Shea and his team might be able to. So if there's some bad throws or there's some turnovers, then I think that'll definitely give Penn State an edge. I've also heard that Penn State's defense is just very familiar with Josh Gaddis and what he does as an offensive coordinator. So I also think that that gives them some edge too. So the line feels about right if I had to go with my gut. Okay. All right. Well, that's the preview for next week for us. Why don't you tell us about the Indiana game against Rutgers which was at the same time as both the Michigan game and the Georgia game. So I'll confess to not having really watched that game other than following it on ESPN and chatting with you. But will you give us the summary and the preview? The way to describe this is one passing yard. I think that was the main theme for this game. It's exciting for Indiana because this was our first Big Ten win of the season. Going to a bowl now is an expectation. We're only two games away, so we're very excited. And the title of this segment is Rutgers had one passing yard throughout the entire game. Iowa had one rushing yard against Michigan. Okay. Just okay. Yeah. It's right a good thing but. to throw out. So just to kind of set up the first half, basically the Scarlet Knights quarterback, his name is Johnny Langan. He fumbled on his first lap. We were able to run it 10 seconds into the game for a touchdown. They took the opening kickoff and then you yeah. scored. First 10 seconds. And then two plays later, we scored again. So that's 14-0 in less than three minutes. And that's because their starting QB and starting running back are red Yes, they decided right? to redshirt this season. I think we mentioned on a previous episode that redshirting, you can play up to four games and then be able to play another season. Gives you an extra year, you get that extra experience. And so they decide to redshirt and they're going to use this opportunity to, to play another season with no guarantee that they'll be back at Rutgers. And most likely with the way things have panned out, these players are probably not going to return for next season. To Rutgers. Yeah, to Rutgers. And the reason why is because Coach Ash got fired. This new coach comes in and they're like, well, this program's in a shambles. So I'm going to redshirt to keep my eligibility if possible. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, we talked about this last episode, like what this means. People are free agents. What does it mean to play for a team? And if the team's not doing well to like want to transfer, like Michigan State has five players on offense transferring now. And Raj had an amazing joke. That's like more than more movement than the offensive coaches. Because famously, Coach D with their terrible offense last year didn't hire any new staff. Credit to Michigan. Harbaugh went out and tried to tried it with Gaddis and we'll see whether it works out or not. But Coach D just decided to reshuffle everybody. And Hondo, longtime Spartan news reporter, this weekend, it's the news, right? Like all over the headlines, he asked Coach D after last week's terrible offensive performance against Wisconsin, how do you think about that decision to just shuffle all the offensive staff? And Coach D says, well, that's a dumbass question and lost his temper, which is typical Spartan politeness. I will say like Coach D, they love him in East Lansing for that sort of gruff defend the program kind of demeanor. That's why the quarterback was Johnny Langan and he wasn't expected to play at all. That's why he fumbled on the first set. Yeah, yeah. Just want to give a few shout outs on the Indiana side. So Stevie Scott, he rushed for 164 yards on only 12 carries. So go Stevie. Penix had 20 of 29 passes for 282 yards, three touchdowns. He did have one interception, but overall good game for him. Phil Yerwap, who we love, he had 10 catches for 182 yards and his four career games with double digit catches are running program record for him. Another shout out, our senior wide receiver, Nick Westbrook. He had a season high five catches, including a touchdown reception in the first quarter. Indiana is actually tied in the Big Ten for fewest quarterback sacks given up. We and Wisconsin have only given up eight this season. So kudos to our offensive line there. And and yeah, so I just want to give out shout out to the Hoosiers. The one yard passing is so crazy because one yeah. yard rushing just means that we sacked Nate Stanley eight times, right? And so sack yards are deducted from the rush yards. So that's why Iowa had one. Yeah, that's insane. But one passing yard on like 20 attempts, right? Like they literally try to pass the ball, but I guess they're throwing I mean, just like thinking about how that's even possible. Like he's probably throwing these like passes that go backwards, right? Like he's throwing passes, crossing routes that get blown up by your defense. Yeah. I think I'm still not really sold on your defense. Like some games it's good. Some games it's like a Jekyll and Hyde defense. So it's still like we're still watching for that. But yeah, so that's the one yard. And then the other question I had in the game is, did human victory cigar QB3 Tuttle get to play? I know that Penix left the game in the fourth quarter. And the answer is the human victory cigar did not get to play because our boy Peyton Ramsey played to close out the game. So Tuttle okay, did not thanks see. thanks for validating that. For next week, Indiana plays Maryland. The line is five and a half Indiana. I was honestly a little surprised. I thought the number would be higher. So the Maryland Terps are currently currently three and three. And I think the reason why I thought the number would be higher is because they lost to Purdue last week, 40 to 14. So Mike Loxley, he's the Maryland coach. He's great offensively. A few things about the Terps. So their quarterback, I think he's hurt. He returned to practice this week, but he's not going to play this Saturday. And so Tyrell Pigrome is going to get the start again. And we love Piggy, right? Yeah. Like this podcast owes a lot to Piggy. We do, I mean, we do. Piggy, for the audience, he almost beat Ohio State 
almost had one pass to win it to send Michigan to Indianapolis. And it was just a pass where Kathy Chong would have nailed that pass 10 out of 10 times. And yeah. and he missed it. And, and we lose to Ohio State. So Ohio State ends up going to the championship game. And we instead go see Michigan-Purdue basketball. And that sort of started your love affair with college basketball. We drove to Ann Arbor to watch that game. This was before our sensational favorite from the Big Ten, Carson Edwards, became Carson Edwards. He just dropped eight three-pointers in the third quarter or something crazy like that for the Celtics against Coach Beeline on the Cavs in the NBA preseason. And we were joking, Coach Beeline can't escape him. It feels just like a Big Ten game out there. But he was raining it down from the NBA three-point line. And Kathy, you got to see him in person, right? For the Celtics? Yeah, that was so cool to watch. I mean, even though I'm an Indiana fan, I think it was more than fine to root for Carson, just Big Ten guy, not the tallest guy on the planet. Yeah, he's like small, yeah. no one gave him a chance. Like, it's more than okay to yeah, root for him. And like, he was amazing in the tournament. He looks really, really good, and we are definitely rooting for him. So, how's Little John? How's he feeling? So, he did walk off the field this past weekend because he was hurt. And he's the big guy, yes, the center, the taking center. all the spots yep. in the middle of that offensive line. And I'm joking with Kathy, if, if Kathy still has eligibility and uh, Little John needs a substitute, Kathy can get in there and take up that space. Yep, yep. I'm definitely eating to take over that role, all the tiramisus that, that I like to have. But all jokes aside, Little John had a lower leg injury. He didn't come back during the game after he walked off. But Coach Allen said in a conference later that he doesn't think he's it's serious and he should be able to play going forward. Well, best of luck to Indiana. How's that four game stretch looking for uh, hashtag seven Indiana? You have Rutgers down, Maryland next. Yep. And then remind me the next two. Nebraska and Northwestern. Okay, cool. Well, good luck to you. Thank you. Give us the rival watch. Sure. So, and, and this is the reason why I was surprised the line is only five and a half Indiana because Maryland played Purdue last week and they beat them. Purdue beat them 40 to 14. And so Plummer. And Purdue, just two items of color. Purdue is on a skeleton crew. Right, yep, like they are. their entire yeah. offensive line is injured. Their star player Rondale Moore is injured. Their QB Elijah Sindelar, who Hammer and Rails, my good friends and my co-host on Choo Choo Hale, called the best quarterback in the country. He's out, right? And that's number one. They're on a scholarship crew. And number two is their coach Jeff Brom. He made some adjustments on the offensive line. He subbed in three freshmen on the offensive line. And so these crazy numbers might be directly as a result of the substitutes that he made. Yeah, that's true. So Purdue was able able to convert 24 first downs and then go 11 out of 18 on third down. Plummer, who is filling in for Sindelar right now as QB, he had 420 passing yards and three touchdowns in the air. And so his offensive line was great too, because they only allowed two sacks. And then it only took the Boilermakers 13 plays to go up 13 points within the first quarter. So they had scores coming from freshman David Bell and King Doru. So yeah, Purdue was actually looking pretty good. And an interesting fact is that before last week's game, the Maryland Terps were 2-0 against the Boilermakers. So they had beat them in 2016 and in 2006 during the Champ Sports Bowl. So it was the first time Maryland ever went to West Lafayette, Indiana to take on Purdue, but the Terps' perfect record against the Boilermakers was spoiled because it was their first loss in program history to the Boilermakers. So yeah, I think Maryland, we should be able to beat them next week, but Purdue was a game that they needed to win if they realistically wanted a, a chance to go to a bowl. They've got really tough 
games coming up after us. They've got Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. So not looking too good for the Terps, but Purdue is looking better than they have. I got a really quick rival watch. So as you know, the Ohio State Buckeyes last week played the formidable bye week. So bye week has already defeated Michigan and Ohio State beat them by three touchdowns. <laughs> so Ohio State's looking really good. They're playing Northwestern this week on Friday night and the line is like 28 points. So we'll see how good that Northwestern defense actually happens to be. It's going to be a bloodbath, I think. Yeah. And you know how it's going to be a bloodbath because people aren't even billing it as a rematch of the Big Ten title game. And that was, what was that? That was like 11 months ago, right? The Big Ten title game. We watched the game. We did. But they're not even talking about it as a rematch. Like it's, the teams are just so far off and they were far off then and are far off now. Yeah, that actually was going through my mind too when you were talking about this matchup because I think Ohio State may even look better than they did last year. And I think Northwestern definitely looks worse. So that gap is just widening from what we saw. Yeah. All right. So the Michigan-Illinois recap was we were good for a bit. And then we were up 28-0. And then somehow in the third quarter and the beginning of the fourth, it was 28-25. And then Shea Patterson leads us back. And then the defense says, well, that was too much. And then two quick turnovers later, it was the final score. So a lot of like talk about how easy our running game looked to start against Illinois. Daryl Saylor, my buddy, Gator, Michigan buddy, texted me, oh, our run game looks great. And then I said, don't text me this. Text me this if it's against Penn State. I don't hear it against Illinois. And then, of course, when Illinois brings it back 28-25, he's messaging me saying, oh, man, we have to keep it interesting. Quinn Nardine missed, and I don't think he's ever had a field goal this year. So I don't know why he must, people were saying this morning, he must look really good in practice because he's not making them. So I do have a question. What is up with Harbaugh kind of switching out Moody and Nordine? Is that normal? Like, I thought you usually have one person who's your designated field goal kicker. Yeah, so the reason for that is college kickers are very finicky and temperamental. It depends a lot on their confidence levels. And so if you can't keep your kicker on too short of a leash, because if you pull him when he makes a mistake, then he'll lose confidence. And then if you need him later, it's bad. So Nordine is our long distance kicker and Moody was so accurate last season that he won the job. The word is that in practice this year, they were both equivalent. What Harbaugh does is he has a kicking contest throughout the season and then there are metrics, right? So, you know, you kick 60 out of 60, you make 45. And if you make 45 and the other guy makes 35, then you're the kicker, right? And apparently, according to him and Gaddis, Nordine and Moody tied during that kicking contest. And so what they've done is to alternate them. You kick one, you kick one, field goals, extra points, and just completely alternating. And the idea behind the alternating is you're not on a short leash, at least in theory. You're not on a short leash, so you miss, it's just the next guy, and then you get back and come back and get to kick. So if you're not on a short leash, maybe it doesn't affect your confidence if the other guy comes in. So it's their way of neutralizing the, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have a quarterback problem. If you have two kickers, yeah. you don't have a kicker because any kicker you'll pull will affect the confidence of the other one. But Nordine has missed three now, so yeah. we'll see in-game. He must look very good in practice, or we should just let Moody kick. I think I'd be okay if like Moody kicked everything under 40, under 35, yeah. and Nordine kicks everything more than 40, because those are a low probability anyway. Or just let Nordine do the kickoffs and boom in into the end. Yeah, I think based off what you said, they probably did look very equal during practice, which is why they both got the opportunity. But what we've seen in games is so inconsistent, because as you said, Nordine is zero for three, and Moody is five of six. So I think I agree with you. Have Moody as your main field goal kicker. If he's not the long distance one, then sure, the 
odd chance that it's above 40, 45, you have Nordine do it and then just have Nordine do the long kicks across the field. We have two more segments. So things that Kathy has learned that are a major key segment for those of you that remember is DJ Khaled's major keys for life. And another idiosyncratic, interesting guardian angel of this Who Who Hail podcast, we keep the most amazing people in our corner. So we'll do that segment and then we'll do a quick segment on Michigan basketball and announce some breaking news. So Kathy, why don't you start us off with the second last segment, what you've learned this year? Sure. Yeah. So as you all recall, I'm still fairly new to watching college football. I started watching more closely a couple years ago at the Indiana-Michigan game in 2017. And so there are things that I've noticed this year so far. So the first thing is it doesn't really mean that much if you blow out a bad team. I think the first couple games I saw, for instance, Indiana blowing Eastern Illinois out, setting that record 52 to zero, but then getting that really awful reality check against OSU that we saw in person at Indiana Memorial Stadium. I feel really bad saying this, but every team against Rutgers, you know, especially Maryland, I I just don't think Maryland is that great of a team and they were able to blow Rutgers out. And, you know, it's been joked around that if you need a confidence boost, play Rutgers. So how much does it really mean if you blow out a bad team? The other example, Penn State, they crushed Maryland, but they had a much tighter game against Iowa, a harder opponent. So I do think it matters if you play a team and you blow them out, but it's a much worse team. The other thing that I've kind of learned that we talked about a little bit earlier in this podcast is the game really isn't determined during the first quarter or really even the first half. So a couple instances where I saw that the USC versus Notre Dame game, it was really tight the first quarter. You saw it spread out a little bit more afterwards where Notre Dame, it looked like they were going to take this one by a lot, but USC was able to catch up. Even OSU versus Michigan State last week, they had a very tight first half until Michigan State's defense got tired. And then I think Ohio State's talent just really rose above it. And the other one that we've talked about, Jeff's sad game is Michigan beating Iowa 10-3. You know, the first couple of plays, they gave Michigan 10 points on the board. And I actually even said, oh my gosh, what if Michigan blows Iowa out? Jeff wasn't as convinced and, and he was right because the score stayed the same during the second half. Uh, one of the things that is sort of adjacent to this is the longer you play the game, the more yeah. the talent differences are exemplified. So Northwestern played OSU really tight and they brought out all the good plays to start that Big Ten title game. And I was telling you, the talent disparity will reveal itself the longer and longer you go. Like they're better conditioned, they're stronger. If you're less talented, you have to scheme all these great plays and you're going to run out. And then because they're more athletic, they can just run their normal stuff which is throw the ball there's no trickery no frippery and the longer the game goes the more likely a talented team is going to win so that's something that that is true as a trend that you've noticed although kudos to old ball coach erm edwards or coach d at michigan state where because they coach teams of two or three stars what happens is they try to squeeze the air out of ball and really shorten the games you play a plotting run-based offense where you milk the clock and have long drives that way you shorten the game army kind of does that too so that these talent disparities don't show Mm -hmm. themselves last topic is michigan media day and michigan basketball because we covered indiana media day last week i had said that i was taking a wait and see approach yes to juan howard that i'm lukewarm i am no longer lukewarm (laughs) and why is that as we were talking through the show notes before the show today and recording this lovely show that kathy worked so hard on total game changer power forward number 12 player in the country isaiah todd he commits to coach juan howard coach juan howard hasn't even coached a single game yet but it's total game changer five-star recruit all across the board i'm sure it didn't help that kansas is going 
going through grade A class one violations. They had this event where after the NCAA put these serious violations against Coach Bill South, who's notorious across the country for just skirting all the rules, they invited Snoop Dogg to their like Midnight Madness basketball launch event. They had a stripper pole, they had a stripper, they had fake cash, like Snoop Dogg's throwing fake cash. And Coach Bill South was taking an Instagram video of the event. Oh, wow. So that didn't help, but it helped us because Isaiah Todd's mom is a family values lady. And so how much did that affect her decision? Because it was down to us in Kansas, right? But some dummies on the internet are saying, well, Kansas, that's why Michigan got this recruit. But that's only partially true because all the other big boys in college basketball, all the other storied programs, I think every program other than Duke, because Duke already has a power forward, he got offers from. And the number seven recruit in ESPN Top 100, breaking news for the 2020 class, the best recruit since Chris Weber. And we're thinking that it'll be a domino effect. I don't want to count my chickens, but the poetic Fab Five is the first domino to fall was Juwan Howard in the Fab Five class. He was the first person, top recruit, to commit to Michigan. And then the other members of the Fab Five committed after that. And so just like Juwan Howard, the player, bet on Michigan, Isaiah Todd bet on Coach Howard and Michigan. And so he's Mm -hmm. the first one. And there's going to be a domino effect for these other top players that are all waiting to decide because they want to play with each other, right? They want to have a good team. They want to win. So we'll see what everyone else decides. There's a couple good commits. So Jeff, I I don't know if you know the answer to this, but to what point in time can these folks transfer? Because aren't they currently in school? And the season starts fairly soon. Oh, so the 2020 class. So these guys are committing for next year. Okay, so it's it's after this year then. Yeah, so they just announced the first year that they play. So if you're a 2020 recruit, you start in 2020 fall. So these are high school seniors. Okay, so you not being lukewarm anymore is about the 2020 season or how are you feeling about this season? Well, I mean, this season, we'll see. So one of the big mysteries and a delicious mystery, actually, is that we know how a Koji Beeline team looks, right? They don't make that many mistakes. They don't really fast break. They don't really offensive rebound. They don't really run the ball in the post. You have shooters. I think the most interesting change that nobody expected was Coach Beeline, famous for being good three-point shooting, but then, you know, you live or die by the three. So he had some teams in a tournament where they come across a good defense or the boys just don't have it shooting one night. And then that's it. We're bounced out of the tournament because shooting can go cold. Mm-hmm. But the most crazy thing that happened, and this is as crazy as it gets, right? There's this MGO blog shirt that said, I think Coach Beeline was celebrating after a crazy win. And he's like, it was crazy. We had subs. Like, that's how John Beeline parties. He gets a sandwich. <laughs> and the only crazy thing that happened was the defense got so great with Coach Yap, right? Yeah. And And so that's the only difference. But you know how that team's going to look. It's not going to offensive rebound. It's going to shoot. The pace is sort of in the middle. And the other crazy thing that happened last year is Z is a non-shooting point guard. He doesn't shoot the ball. But Coach Bielan loves him and he had to tinker with his system for Z, right? And he's gotten some big power forwards and centers like Mo Wagner and Mitch McGarry. And they also learned how to shoot the three and join the system. So that's Coach B's team. Michigan fans know it. The national media knows it. It's famous. That's just the system. But for the first time in a very long time since we got Coach B in 2007, we hired him and we hired Rich Rod. He didn't work out as well. But Coach B was one of the best hires of all time, all time college coaches, right? Like he's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. Kudos to him for taking the Cavs job, fulfilling his lifelong dreams of coaching in the NBA. We're so happy for him. But so for the first time, we don't know what a Michigan basketball team is going to look like. We have no idea. Mm-hmm. Is he going to be up tempo? Is he going to be methodical? I think we know that there's going to be a bit more posting up game, like big men back to the basket posting up game. 
just because Coach Howard is a big man himself. That part is going to utilize more. But they're also trying to keep it under wraps so that teams can't prepare. And so they're they're, they're not revealing any data for... Because, you know, like, if you play a press team or a fast break team or a big man back to the basket team, these all require different game plans. And Michigan is totally keeping mom on all of this. And so it'll be really exciting. Like even the preseason games will be really fun to watch because we have an idea what this year is going to look like. It's a big mystery. The answer is it's a big mystery. Yeah. Excited to see. And on that note, another big mystery. Hopefully it's a mystery. Good luck to Indiana against Maryland. It'll be, I think what I'll be watching on that game, given, assuming that Penix just performs as his wonderful self. Yeah. yeah. So good luck to Penix. Hopefully, hopefully Ramsey gets to play a lot because that means that you guys will be up a lot. And for us, hopefully the Happy Valley whiteout turns out to be more of a mystery toss-up type of game. I'll take that. Any wishes from you for this week, what you'll be looking for? I think, I, oh, what I'm going to be looking for in your game, given that you're Jekyll and Hyde performance, I'm going to be looking for the Indiana defense against the Loxley offense. As we said last week, yes. Maryland, some crazy, crazy statistic that I read was that 88% of their plays don't work, but then the 12% work really well. And so if your defense can stop the 12%, that's awesome, then you'll win. So hopefully I'll be looking for Womack to contain Maryland's explosive plays. I mean, they're not, again, explosive offense per se, even though Loxley is supposed to be an offensive genius, but they have those offensive explosion, like a subset of their players. Yeah, I mean, I was about to say that. We'll see what Womack comes up with. I don't know. I, I'm still, I don't understand why the line's at five and a half. So I, I just hope, as you said, we're winning by a lot more. Peyton Ramsey gets to throw the ball because that means that we're doing pretty well. Penix gets some rest and I would be happy for that. And for Michigan versus Penn State, whiteout, just just best of luck. I'll be rooting for you guys. And I hope that it's a close game and you know you can pull off the W. Well, I mean, I have an answer for maybe that's the case. So Vegas always knows, right? So let's look at Maryland's record. So they play Howard and they're 79 to zero. And that's the game where everyone's like, because we play Middle Tennessee, Michigan, and we kind of struggle a little bit. And so everyone's like, maybe we picked the wrong offensive coordinator because famously Gaddis was going to go with Loxley to Maryland and be the offensive coordinator there. They were co-hosts at Alabama. So everyone watched that Howard game and were like, we heard the wrong guy. Then there's the Syracuse game, which happened next, Maryland versus Syracuse. And it was 6-3-20. And Syracuse was ranked and Maryland destroyed them. That was the game where everyone who was betting, everyone who had any idea was like, Maryland's going to win because they've done it before. They've beaten Syracuse before. Syracuse was like good, but review to be not that good this year. So Syracuse is kind of struggling. So that was 63-20. And then you have the Temple loss. So they lost to Temple 2017. And then they get their socks rocked by Penn State 59-0. And so everyone's perceptions of Maryland swings the other way. Then you have the 48-7 game against Rutgers. They beat Rutgers by more than you guys beat Rutgers, right? 41 points. And then you have this loss to Purdue, which maybe the answer, because this is sort of like, how do you draw the trend line through this? Maybe this line is just respect for Coach Brown at Purdue, right? So the idea is that Purdue beat Maryland 40 to 14. Maybe Coach Brown had something. Therefore, Maryland's not as bad as that 40-14 score appears. And so they might play you tight. I don't know. Reaching for straws yeah. here. I don't remember what the line originally was for the Maryland-Purdue game, but I don't, I don't know. Can you, maybe it's not as transitive, but if you say Purdue beat Maryland by that much and you think Indiana will only beat them by five and a half, does that that mean that Purdue will beat Indiana. 
your interpretation is even more favorable to Purdue, right? Yeah. But I think the line is respect for Coach Brown because that's the most recent game. You know, if it's just the two Rutgers games, then it's like they beat Rutgers by more, but who knows? Maybe that's something too, right? Because they beat Rutgers 48-7. If you just take the Maryland game against Rutgers and then you take Indiana's game against Rutgers mm-hmm. and you're like, how much is Indiana better than Maryland? We don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's... It's, it's hard though. I mean, if we knew how to set the proper lines, we'd be so rich. Oh, I'd time. be in Vegas setting this every week. So yeah. <laughs> no, you'd run Vegas. Right? Yeah, I'd run Vegas. <laughs> you'd run the sports book and you'd have some fun. But good luck to that game. Hopefully you beat the line a lot and hopefully we come out of Happy Valley with a win. Sounds good. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Hoo-hoo. Hail.